Hello my friends, it's back to Pablo at Pablo's channel um, and I feel inspired to do another reading um, if you decide to listen to me, very nice or if not, so be it but I'm doing this purely out of my own bliss and the date is the, um, what's the date? It's the 3rd of January. Um, well, we just passed midnight, meaning it was the 2nd of January. Uh, but now, early hours of the 3rd of January. And I bought, well, yeah, I bought a book for Christmas, to, to, uh, for my dad to give to me at Christmas. And it's a history of the Wivel. <clears throat> um, and I got I got interested in read, um, getting a book like this because um, I'm going to be hopefully moving there at the end of this month uh, to New Brighton. <clears throat> and um, I'm looking forward to it. And to enrich my Wivel experience, I thought I would study the history of it or try and know as much as possible about the world um, so yeah the book I bought I bought it from Amazon and it's by Stephen J Roberts so I will stop talking and just read the book because the book will be interesting to listen to rather than me rambling on Okay, so, and I've got some uh, ambient sound in the background. I don't know what it is, but it um, sounds like white noise, doesn't it? But anyway, here we go. Uh, I'm going to read the back of the page first, uh, and then read the introduction. Wirral is a fine example of a peninsula. Almost an island. It is also a microcosm of the mainland, having experienced every historical development to have occurred in England since the arrival of the Stone Age hunter gatherers. Inhabited during the Bronze and Iron Ages, it was probably well exploited by the Romans based at the nearby legionary fortress of Diva or Deva, D-E-V-A. Long before Deva became Chester, Wirral had been settled by Celts, Anglo-Saxons and Scandinavians. When the Normans took over, King William's Doomsday Book gives a very clear picture of the peninsula in the 11th century, full of farms and fish and will folk. Throughout the Middle and Early Modern Ages, Wirral's growing population was still mainly ploughing, milking and fishing. But then came the dramatic upheavals of the 19th and 20th centuries. First, colonisation by wealthy Liverpudlians, then the rapid expansion of the great industrial and urban centres of Ellesmere Port, Birkenhead and Wallasey. 
putting enormous pressures on the world's countryside, still evident today. The better to explore the lives of the Wirral people of the past and to discover how they moulded and shaped the peninsula in which we now live. The author has not only reread all the well-loved classic texts, but has also undertaken much original research into primary sources and studied the findings of all the recent exciting research in the fields of geology, archaeology, landscape studies, linguistics, family history and genetics. A professional historian, he is also a professional communicator and in this, the first complete history of will that have appeared in over a hundred years, he has combined an authoritative yet very readable narrative with a wealth of carefully selected illustrations. It must surely be the standard work well into the 21st century, exclamation mark. Stephen Roberts was born in Heswall in 1958. Growing up in Greasby, he attended the local infants and junior schools, Hoylake Parade School for Boys and Carlet Park College. Going on to study history at the Universities of York and London, he then trained to be a teacher at University College of Wales, Aberystwyth, that's A-B-E-R-Y-S-T-W-Y-T-H, probably pronounced that totally wrong. He has taught history in schools and colleges in Wales and Essex and in a young offenders institution in Lancashire. He now divides his time between teaching in adult education and historical research and writing. Interested in local history from an early age, Stephen loved to explore Wirral's countryside and towns on foot and by bicycle. That's what I plan to do. His ancestral roots go deep in the area. The Roberts family were Hoylake fishermen and a tombstone in the old parish churchyard records the loss of two of them at sea. John Isaac from the lifeboat in 1906, and Peter from the smack Daisy in 1914, while other paternal ancestors were from the Yoxall, that's Y-O-X-A-L-L, and Rainford families of West Kirby. On his mother's side, he is descended from the Cookson, Holmes and Crofts families of Hoose and Great Mells and the Hadwin family of West Kirby. So that was um, the back page. And then as I go to the front um, and go through the first page, we've got a picture of the coat of arms of the Metropolitan Borough of Wirral, designed by Ellis Tomlinson in 1974. The crown has five points. They represent the old local authorities which amalgamated to form the Metropolitan Borough. Bebbington, Birkenhead, Heswall, Hoylake and Wallasey. All the other features were carefully designed to represent aspects of Wirral. 
The green on the shield's background symbolises its countryside, and the waves stand for the Mersey and Dee estuaries. Bog Myrtle. The plant, whose Anglo-Saxon name became part of the word Wirral, can be seen sprouting from the helmet. The oyster catcher is a reminder of the bird life which flourishes along the coast, and the horn is a symbol of the authority of the medieval master forester. The people of Wirral look at the coat of arms with a mixture of pride, because it is a beautiful representation of the well-loved attractions of their homeland. And sadness, because officially it stands only for the northern portion of the peninsula. Southern Wirral is divided between Ellesmere Port and Neston and Chester City Councils. So, as I flip the page, I can see it's reprinted in paperback in 2007 and um, first published in 2002. And I'll just read the um, contents and may read the acknowledgements just see how I go with that and then um, read the preface and maybe introduction and then stop there as it might be a lot yeah I'll stop there okay so look at the content we've got a list of illustrations illustration acknowledgements acknowledgements preface and introduction and then it's got um, seven chapters. The first chapter is from creation to the first settlements. The second chapter is from the first settlers to the Romans. Uh, the third chapter, Celtic, Saxon and Viking Wirral, AD 400 to 1066. And then four, Medieval Wirral, 1066 to 1500. And then chapter five, Early Modern Wirral, 1500 to 1800. And then chapter 6, 1800 to 1914. And then the last chapter, the 20th century. And then it has some appendices with Roman numeral 1 as the Roman Wirral. Roman numeral 2, the Battle of Brunnenburf. Brunnenburf. That's B-R-U-N-A-N-B-U-R-H. And then Roman numeral 3, the Doomsday Book. Wirral Manners. And then we've got some notes, bibliography, and index. Um, then we've got the whole list of illustrations, which I will not go into because it's too much. And it says here, to the people of Wirral and Wirral exiles everywhere. So some of the illustrations, like map the distances from Wilston, uh, Wirral geology, Flint arrowheads, Bronze Age funerary urns, farm excavation at Irby, map place names, Overchurch runic stone, something that Alan Hawkins was uh, very, uh, yeah, lived around and was influenced by, pre Norman crossheads, and so on. And then we've got the illustration acknowledgements. And the acknowledgments, which I'm not going to bother. Acknowledgments is a bit too, uh, you know, personal. But I will read the preface and see what it says. Preface. The term Wirral is used to describe the peninsula 
which is bounded by the Dee and Mersey estuaries, Irish Sea and the Dever, I think that Dever Spillway, route to the Shropshire Union Canal between Ellesmere Port and Chester. By 1086, it was an administrative unit called a Hundred, whose boundaries extended as far east as the River Gowie. That's G-O-W-Y. I make no attempt to discuss the villages, which at that time were included in Wirral, but were later transferred to Broxton Hundred, apart from in the section which deals with Doomsday Book. Unless otherwise stated, the pre-1974 county boundaries and names are employed throughout the text. Similarly, the term Merseyside is used to describe not the short-lived metropolitan county, but the geographical region within the vicinity of the River Mersey, which, for example, includes Ellesmere Port, which was never part of the metropolitan county. In order to reduce the necessity for footnotes, only quotations and apparently controversial um, specialised or new facts are attributed in that way. The reader can assume that the content of unattributed narratives can be obtained from most of the standard reference works. The names of the classic authors are often mentioned in the narrative, without mention of the exact details of their works. The reader will be able to find all the necessary information in the bibliography. So, introduction. It was early spring 2002. I looked out of the bedroom window of my parents' home towards Greasby Copse. C-O-P-S-E. Grey sheets of hail-laden cloud were scudding, were scudding in from the south, shutting out the pink light of the setting sun. Desirous of a closer look at the scene, I left the house and walked up the lane. Cars roared past me, but on the little ridge by the copse, um, everything was silent. I knew that. So 9,000 years previously, families of Stone Age hunter-gatherers had lived on that ridge. It was never their permanent home, but one of many seasonal encampments which were scattered in a mystical network throughout the region. I contemplated the world they knew, one in which humans were scarce and plants and animals abundant. I tried to imagine the passage of time and the gradual disappearance of the wild wood. I wondered whether the Romans built a road between Dever and Mels and had crossed the same ridge just a little way to the south. Names Greasby, Arrow with an E, Irby, Upton, Woodchurch, reminded me of how the Anglo-Saxons and Norse had founded most of the settlements and parceled up the land. I thought about the medieval forest and the peasants' efforts to make the land yield more food. Flooded marl pits in the field behind me were proof that later generations had carried on the tradition. Beyond them lay the park, one of the loveliest in the region, a blessed green haven 
in a suburban district and the product firstly of the dreams of a businessman and then of the foresight of a local council. Evidences of modernity lay all around. A tower block, the rumble of traffic and the orange glow of streetlights reflecting off the base of clouds. I saw that I was the product of that cluttered and noisy world, but also of that silent ridge and of everything which lay between them. This book's aim is to link us all with the world of this little ridge next to Greasby Copse, to tell the 9,000 year story of people's relationship with each other and with this little portion of the Earth's surface known as the Wirral Peninsula. It describes the ways in which successive generations of people have used the district's resources and landscape in order both to survive and to flourish. Attempts are made to describe the lives of the people during every period, to discuss the effects of human life upon the local landscape and to consider modern evidence for past actions and conditions. Wherever possible, local details are explained with reference to regional and national developments. But the main topic is Wirral's uniqueness. Every district in the world is unique, but not many are as easily defined as Wirral. It is, after all, a semi-island, a peninsula. In fact, probably one of the world's finest examples of that phenomenon. phenomenon. Oddly enough, despite the clarity of its geographical definition, it has not so far been the subject of an overall history. George Omerod described it in his History of the County, Palantine of Cheshire, in 1819. William Williams Mortimer produced the History of the Hundred of Wirral in 1847, and Philip Sully, The Hundred of Wirral in 1889. All three works follow a similar pattern. They contain an introduction to the area's topography and administrative history, and then a gazetteer of its parishes, parishes and townships. The emphasis of each chapter is usually on churches, clergymen and the genealogies and arms of local gentry. Little attempt is made to describe the lives of the people or to interpret social and economic developments. Although Mortimer does provide us with some excellent information about the growth of Birkenhead. Interestingly, the 20th century saw the publication of several general descriptions of Wirral, typified by H.E. Young's preambulation of the Hundred of Wirral of 1909 and Norman Ellison's Wirral Peninsula of 1955, which, even though they did not claim to be histories, used the same gazetteer, gazetteer or travelogue format. There are only two attempts at looking at the peninsula in the round. W. Hewitt's The Wirral Peninsula in 1922 
and E. H. Rydelt, The Growth of Wirral, in 1927. Hewitt's book was primarily a geographical work, while Rydelt was mainly concerned with demographic and economic history. At the same time, there were several very capable scholars working on specific aspects of the history of Cheshire and on smaller locations within the county. Perusal, perusal of the bibliography at the end of this book reveals who they were. R. Stuart Brown, James Tate, William Ferguson Irvine, John Brownbill and others. The Transactions of the Historic Society of Lancashire and Cheshire was their favoured medium of publication. During the later 20th century, many more excellent works of local history were produced, and new fields were explored. P.H.W. Booth, G. Place and Burton and South Wirral Historical Society must be mentioned in this context. In addition, archaeologists were producing new information about Wirral's more distant past. I first dreamed of writing a history of Wibble whilst I was a 17-year-old student at Carlett Park College. Many years later, after having studied history at two universities and taught the subject in school, I felt I was ready to attempt the task. It has been a humbling experience. I have truly discovered the depth and quality of the research which has already been carried out. There have been many unsung heroes and heroines who have lovingly transcribed and edited a range of essential sources. Without their work, it would have taken decades to be able to get to the point of writing a meaningful history. Even amongst the more popular works, there are items of almost equal importance. The World Journal, for example, contains numerous succinct and readable accounts of vital topics. The author of the best of them remained consistently anonymous. I offer this work partly in tribute to all such lovers of Wirral who have given the task of sharing their knowledge and reflections about their homeland of high priority than personal gain or aggrandizement, and to all the scholars and researchers who blaze the trail ahead of me. So there you go. <clears throat> there is the introduction to A History of Wibble by Stephen J. Roberts.